I get buckets. And welcome to Blue Wire Buckets. This is Sam Fandiari from the Light Years Podcast. Tonight we have Ricky O'Donnell from Cash Considerations, Yovan Buha from Clip City Podcast, and Shemet Dua from In the Know. How you guys doing? Doing well, man. Just kind of throw the broad how you doing. No one wants to really jump in. <laughs> no one wants to talk over each other. <laughs> um so we kind of had a boring slate of games tonight. I feel like everyone was all hyped up for 2-2 and proceed to get the most boring game of both Philly, Toronto, and Denver, Portland series, right? Yeah, and, and that's why I, I'm actually of the belief that I don't know how much I actually want to read into either one of these games uh, because it's felt like these two series have gone either way uh, with, with both teams winning on each other's home courts. Uh, it's been, you know, such a tight contested series up to this point that, um, you know, part of me wonders if if the, the road teams just kind of took their foot off the gas uh, a, a little bit in these game fives, kind of knowing they had the security of going back for game six. Um, I do think that, you know, just looking at the series um, w- with how they've gone, you, you would probably favor uh, Toronto and, and Denver respectively kind of overall. But uh, I don't know if there was like some great adjustment uh, or, or revelation from from either of these games tonight. I think it was just uh, kind of the, they kind of got out of hand from, from the beginning in the first half. And, and then from that point on, um, the, the road teams kind of just never recovered. But I, I don't want to overreact necessarily to either one of these. Yeah, for sure. So let's start on Toronto Philly. I mean, my first takeaway was it was more just feeling yeah. awful. Like Ben Simmons wasn't in the game. Yeah. The, the, the Embiid thing is definitely like if he's not himself and, and if he's going to be the way he's been the last like couple games, the Philly doesn't have a chance. So uh, th- that I guess would be the one thing that I would take away from, from this game, especially is if Joel Embiid is not engaged or, I mean, I don't know if engage is even the right word, but he, he just has not been, been himself eight turnovers tonight. Uh, you know, they really bothered him with those double teams. Uh, you know, Marcus Sol has defended him pretty well all series. Like, I, I just think that, um, you know, if Joel Embiid is not like the game three version of himself, which, which was his best game in the series, uh, Philly really doesn't have a chance. And especially when, you know, JJ was one for six, uh, Tobias and Jimmy didn't really, you know, they, they struggled on top of Ben Simmons, not really doing much. So they, they really need, you know, three of those guys to be clicking. Uh, to have any you know any semblance of a chance, but if Embiid is turning the ball over eight times, like Philly's offense, I, I just don't think they could keep up with the Raptors. Yeah, both Embiid and Simmons were really terrible today. I think Embiid he was dealing with something. Uh, the Sixers said that he had an illness before the game. We also know he had the gastro problems earlier in the season. When they're not getting anything from Embiid or Simmons, and this was one of the rare games where it felt like Philly was actually better with Embiid off the floor. The offense just devolves into Jimmy Butler run and pick and roll. Uh, that works against a lot of teams, but when Toronto's sticking Kawhi on him, it's a whole different story. Butler has been really good at times in this series, but he was never supposed to do it himself, even with them running a more steady diet of pick and rolls through him during the playoffs. 
Uh, there's just no way Philly can win when Embiid is, you know, basically giving him nothing. Simmons, almost a no-show tonight. I mean, seven points. He had as many turnovers as he did field goal attempts with five tonight. Uh, this was just a, a pathetic showing from Philly, really, and uh, Toronto will have a chance to finish I off the series in six I know that Embiid now. and Simmons have kind of been the talk during the series, but I want to bring up Tobias Harris, who I feel Philly spent quite a lot of capital to acquire, and I don't know. I feel like he's been largely mediocre throughout this series. He had a good game. Uh, what was it? Game two? No, it was game three. He had a good game three, I would say, where his impact maybe went beyond the box score, but he really hasn't been there in terms of a difference maker. And they're going to head into free agency asking the question, is Tobias Harris worth a max? And, you know, he, he put up 15 points on 12 shots tonight, which is okay, but he also had a massive plus minus of minus 34. So it's, it's tough. They're going to need more out of him for sure. If they want to get back in the series. I mean, Yovan can speak to Tobias. I don't think the Clippers were particularly disappointed losing him, right? Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I think with, with Tobias, um, you know, that, that was one of the criticisms that you heard from uh, people around the team and the coaching staff. Like, he, he went missing a, a lot of fourth quarters. You know, the, there was a reason why Lou kind of got all this attention as a closer and, and hitting all these game-winning shots because Tobias, you know, he he – if you look at his scoring splits, a lot of times, you know, he'd have 24 points, but 20 of those would come through the first three quarters. And then the, the fourth quarter, he'd have a bucket or two. But uh, I think, you know, it's interesting you made that free agency point because I think a lot of people viewed Tobias as the the insurance for Jimmy Butler. And, you know, the, he, there was some locker room drama earlier in the season and people were kind of writing off Butler returning to Philly. But now, you know, it, with, with the way the, the playoffs have gone and, and Jimmy, I think, has kind of established himself uh, as, you know, if Embiid's number one, Jimmy's probably 1.5 on, on this team. Uh, you know, they might end up keeping him and letting Tobias walk. So I, I think that might be the, the most interesting thing uh, outside of maybe Brett Bo- uh, Brown getting fired potentially uh, if they lose in six. Yeah, my, my thing with Jimmy is like... He- we, we got the full um, range of Jimmy Butler this season, at least on a national level. But end of the day, there's only so many guys who can perform at that level in the playoffs that he can. And for all the fit issues and kind of all the drama and stuff, it's really hard to not want to keep a guy like that, even if you don't think he's worth giving a five-year match. And Butler also has the value of like being the only guard on the entire team. The Sixers are just running out so many traditional frontcourt players in there that, you know, Butler, while of course he's not a nominal point guard, he sort of assumes those duties uh, by running so many of the pick and rolls and initiating so much of the offense, especially in the playoffs. I, w- I would totally agree that Butler seems more important to them than Harris now, but man, they gave up a, a nice package to get Tobias Harris and to see him struggle that way uh, in these playoffs and Redick, uh, another poor game for him, one of six from the field, only three points. Uh, he is free agency looming as well, correct? So, so definitely some some major free agent ramifications in this series uh, for both teams, obviously, but especially for the Sixers. Yeah, so I mean, let's let's move this forward to Portland, Denver, which was also kind of pretty much over in the first half, just like the Toronto Philly game. Um, I don't know that I can read anything from tonight's game other than. Nikola Jokic has been kind of my favorite story of the playoffs Mm -hmm. because he had all the kind of questions if his game would translate in the playoffs, like how's it going to look when teams hunt him? And it's just kind of great seeing 
as as dominant as he was in the regular season, it, it completely translates. So yeah, I think I think Jokic has shown that he can show out with the best of them at the highest level. To me, you know, as as a Pelicans podcaster, I'm biased against Portland. I, I never really bought into them as a team, given what the Pelicans did to them last year. So <laughs> you know the. Portland handled OKC very well, and Lillard was on fire during that whole series. But you're seeing Denver defend Portland a lot of the same ways that the Pelicans defended Portland, in which they'll have Millsap aggressively chasing and trapping one of their ball handlers, Lillard or, or McCollum, while they drop Jokic back, and they put him on, on Alfaruq Aminu, essentially. And they're daring guys like Aminu or Evan Turner to make those shots while Jokic can kind of sit back and patrol the paint and, and protect the rim. Now, I, I think the Pelicans personnel with, with Davis and Drew uh, may have been a little bit better suited for that, but it's paying off almost the same way for, for Denver. I mean, you, Millsap is a fantastic defender, and if Lillard isn't going to be on fire, they're going to need other people to step up, which you're going to live with Aminu becoming a volume-type scorer. Yeah, Lillard was so phenomenal in the first round against OKC. At that point, he looked like, you know, he was the best player in the entire playoffs. I think that in this series, Jokic has been the best player. And that's kind of set the tone, as you said. The way they've defended Lillard has been really impressive. Uh, There's just a lot of depth on Denver. That's the thing I kept coming back to watching this game. They have guys like Gary Harris, Will Barton. They can throw at those two scoring guards to try to slow him down a little bit. I think Paul Millsap is just playing phenomenal right now. 24 points tonight. He has so much defensive responsibility for Denver, uh, covering up for some of the things Jokic can't get to. But he's been so solid on both ends of the floor. And uh, Denver's just got a lot of different guys who can beat you. And when Murray's dialed in the way he has been for most of this series, uh, that's that's a really impressive team. Yeah, Um the other, the other thing to note tonight, um, Lillard and McCollum combined for 37 shots, only scored 34 points. I don't know that Denver can win a game without at least one of those two going off. I kind of feel like when they go back to Portland, um, it's it's unlikely they'll both be shut down in that fashion. Yeah, th- th- this feels like a seven-game series. I, I think, uh, you know, proverbial gun to my head, I- I'd probably go Denver in seven. Um, I-, I-, I am with... Schmidt on uh, <laughs> yes. on the Portland slander. <laughs> I, I have not, you know, I uh, I didn't. I, I I picked OKC to win that series, and I, I promised myself I've not been a big Portland fan over the last few years. I was just up there actually for Game Three, and I have to say I love the city. Uh, they have great fans, but I just have not been a big believer in them uh, and their core. And I promised myself I'd pick whoever they played in the first round to beat them, no matter who it was, basically, other than San Antonio. Uh, And, you know, they ended up playing OKC. I I picked OKC. I was wrong on that. But part of me wonders how how much of that might have been us overrating and overestimating OKC. Uh, And now seeing this news today with uh, Paul George having uh, shoulder surgery and and then Russ having another procedure – um, OKC was was definitely more banged up than than we knew, but uh, I think it's it's time to give Denver props because I think they were the mystery team of the playoffs. They're really the one team uh, outside of maybe the Clippers that we hadn't seen uh, in the Western Conference playoffs the last couple of years, and a, lo- a lot of people were were doubting them. And, and you know they had the least playoff experience uh, of any of the teams in, in the West. Uh, I know I was a bit of a skeptic on them. 
Uh, I, I'd pick them to get to the second round, but I, I could have easily seen them losing to San Antonio, which they almost did. And, and I think now they've shown through that series, through this series, that e- even if they lose to Portland, uh, I do think Denver is legitimate. And moving forward, they, they you know they're going to be in that conversation. What you know, maybe not on the Golden State Houston level, but they're on that next tier, whatever tier that is. And I, I think that the future is bright for them. Yeah, it's been a huge series for Jamal Murray. Um, always been a fan of his game. I just generally like irrational confidence players. Um, anywhere from, you know, Steph Curry to Lou Williams, that sort of thing. I never kind of knew what to make <laughs> of him. Um, you know, cause young player, he, he dropped 40 in a game and then followed up with a handful of like eight point games. Uh, but 34, of the last two games tonight, 18 and nine in basically three quarters of work. I mean, he's been, he's been phenomenal for them and you, you can kind of see, uh, if he really does continue to build on this and take that next step, the core of him and Jokic and their myriad of young wings, you know, that could be something. They're forward. really starting to pick at Ennis Cantor defensively. Now, in the OKC series, everyone was like, wait a minute, can he actually play defense? Well, it turns out in OKC's offense is as bad as we think it is. But, but no, Denver <laughs> is really trying to take advantage of, of Cantor in space. And, and Jamal Murray has been phenomenal in, in that high middle pick and roll. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, not much more to go into into these two games. I kind of feel like it's best to use the rest of our time to get into game five of uh, Boston-Milwaukee and more Golden State-Houston um, on Wednesday. Um, first off, I guess I'll start with you guys. Do any of you think Boston have a chance to come back in the series? I don't think so either. <laughs> I guess they should have gone name by name before <laughs> to make it easier. Yeah, I don't think there's there's any way no? Boston so- loses, what, three more games? No. Yeah, sorry. Milwaukee. Milwaukee loses yeah, Boston can't lose three more yeah. games either, technically. <laughs> That's true. Um, I mean, at, at this point, I'm just gearing up for for Giannis Kawhi. That that is going to be a series. That that is going to be special. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm I'm not willing to write off Philly with regards to that. Although when Toronto plays like this, it's really hard to see them losing. Um, but yeah, so let, I guess we can just move on from the Boston. Milwaukee series, you know, no one's really thinking. Given how inconsistent they've been all year, uh, it seems improbable that they will connect as a team and come together for three straight games. It's also a a, a bad matchup Um, at this moment. I mean, last year, the the hospital Celtics took Milwaukee to seven, but that wasn't the same Bucks team. I mean, now you have Bud, now you have all these shooters, your your wings are healthy, and, and Eric Bledsoe and George Hill are, are playing really well, so it's it's a, it's it's a handful for Boston. All right, guys, we've got an announcement to make. Blue Wire is teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners shave comfortably. Go to Harry's.com/bluewire to save ten dollars on a value trial set, which includes. Five blade razor with lubricating strip and trimmer blades, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. You get all that for $3 shipped right to your door. Enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple clean design with quality durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. 
Harry's bought world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer at harrys.com slash bluewire. All the Harry's blades come 100% quality guaranteed. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for only $3. Quick, quick question for you guys. Uh, I'm just curious. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I think w- we know the big names in free agency that this summer, uh, Katie, Kawhi, Kyrie, Jimmy, Clay. Uh, I, I think most of those guys have improved their perception. Like we just talked about Jimmy, how um, it, it seemed like he might be gone from Philly, but now, you know, you don't know. And, and he's probably reasserted his dominance and, and just how good he actually is. Katie and Kawhi might be the two best players in basketball right now. Uh, and then, you know, Clay, I think, um, you know, Clay's Clay and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll probably get the max from Golden State. But for Kyrie, does this series and, and kind of the way this season has gone with all the stuff with him and the young guys and the weird comments in the media, does that change the way you guys value him or, or look at him and, would you still feel comfortable giving him a max contract if you were Boston or uh, another team? Or uh, am I just overthinking this? No, I, I personally would still feel comfortable. Like he, he's temperamental. Um, he's, he's kind of moody. You saw it this year. I don't know that I'd feel comfortable going year to year with him, but if I have, I'd still feel comfortable giving him a four or five year max depending um, because he is 27. And if it doesn't work out in the fashion you want, you can trade him, you know, you can, you can kind of cut your loss and let someone else take that. He's it's unlikely he's going to be a, you know, kind of cancer contract unless it, um, you know, unless he gets hurt or something, but that's a risk with anyone. Right. Um, yeah, no, I, I still would. Uh, but it does, you definitely have to consider a lot of variables around him to get the best out of him. More so than obviously Kawhi or KD, who yeah, I'm with I'm with Sam here. I don't hesitate to give Kyrie a max contract, but it's clear that the way the Celtics are structured as is is not enough to compete with the top dogs in the league. Now they have their moments; they had they have a really high ceiling, especially if the young players pan out. But I really do think with Kyrie's like one A, they need a one B or or someone maybe better than Kyrie. Cough, cough, Anthony Davis. Um. But I, they really do need another bona fide star because when you look at the ingredients that make up a contender outside of of Houston, well, I guess there's Toronto as well. But like you know, typically you have a top seven ish player on the on the team. Kyrie is borderline top ten. He's really good, and then you have a litany of players that are you know top twenty. Uh, or top 30 and under. And and I don't think Boston has that. The number two guy after Kyrie is arguably who? Al Horford, right? And he's probably a top 30 player, but he's on the edge of that, I think. And and the rest of the roster down is is not as close. If you, if you line them up to, to Golden State um, and, and some of the other teams, it's it's they don't have the, the same firepower that, that people expect them to have. See, see, my whole thing is they were better last year with Kyrie and with quite frankly younger versions of Tatum and Brown and and no Hayward. So I mean to me it, it's a lot more of a chemistry issue this year, which is a lot more complicated 
maybe a little more worrisome because we're not talking about like there being a gaping basketball black hole in the sense of like, you know, OKC, okay, okay, no one can shoot the ball, right? Like that's a that's a pretty obvious thing, what you want to find, whereas like an interpersonal problem is, is a f- far more complicated one. Um, I don't know. I kind of feel like that muddies Kyrie's value in some way, but at the same time, you saw him with a young Celtics team essentially have the best record in the East up until he no, got yeah, hurt. I agree. Uh, I do think there is a little bit of a Brad Stevens component. Like obviously, he's a, a fantastic coach, but it, there's something to be said where year after year, your your team's shot profile it looks a little bit antiquated, where they're a bit heavy in the mid-range, they're a bit allergic to the free throw uh, or getting to the free throw line, and, and their attempts at the rim aren't as high as you would expect uh, a team full of young athletic wings might have. So I, I watched their offense and you're right in terms of chemistry, it doesn't seem like there's a good flow to it. There's kind of like, all right, Kyrie's going to do his thing. Then maybe it's my turn. And then Jason Tatum's trying to be Kobe light sometimes. And no one really has an idea of what's going on. And then the bench comes in, you have, you know, uh, Morris, who's going to, put up a shot every time he touches the ball and then Terry Rozier trying to play for a contract. It's, it's an awkward fit. I'd like to see them with a maybe dedicated like offensive coordinator as, as a coach that putting in maybe different looks than, than Stevens. Cause he has a very egalitarian offense, kind of like Kerr. And I don't know if that's the best fit for such a young roster. Yeah. I think Hayward was meant to be that sort of veteran stabilizing presence for them. And, Obviously, he hasn't been the same player since the injury. He's quietly just been brutal in this series. He's playing 30 minutes a game. He's only averaging seven and a half points. Uh, Cannot hit a three to save his life. It's just been generally inefficient from all over the floor. So uh, when you're not getting anything out of Hayward, I feel like too often the offense just devolves into the Kyrie show. It turns into a a system where it's like my turn, your turn, even though the Celtics were at, you know, an even bigger stage than this last year with younger players taking the biggest role on the team, it's it's just been the same issue we've seen with the Celtics throughout the regular season. There's no cohesion. Uh, it doesn't really look like there's any joy in them playing basketball. And I think Milwaukee's got them on the brink of delivering a knockout punch here. Yeah, definitely. So let's move forward to Warriors-Houston. I got to start with this question. Obviously, I'm close <laughs> to the Warriors, and that's my team. I cover how much do you guys believe Houston can win the series? Give me, give me a percentage. Let's go down. Let's start with Ricky. I would say 30% chance. Uh, I'll, I'll go 35%. Uh, I actually picked Houston to win the series before the series. And, and that was just based on the way I just seen golden state play the Clippers for six games. Uh, you know, they, they've obviously, <laughs> increase their effort and focus a bit more than, than that series. But um, I, it does seem like at times this team uh, is just kind of coasting still and they're talented enough to get away with it. But I think Houston might be the the, the one team that could bite them with that. So um, I, I do still expect them to, to win the series. But if it's four days from now and, and Houston won in six or, or they're going to game seven, uh, I would not be that surprised. I will give them a 45% chance. We're incrementally increasing, aren't we? But the tiebreaker for me is, you know, the the reason I'm not outright favoring them is game seven is going to be in, in golden state. So that's that I, 
that's tough for me to envision Houston winning, but I think Houston's absolutely in it. And I think it's also a reflection of how much like the Celtics, the Warriors are kind of discombobulated from an outsider's point of view. They're, they're not on the same page in the sense that it doesn't look fun for them. It, it, it looks tasking. The last series kind of reflected that. I think Houston is playing their games to get in their head. Obviously, there's a lot of media coverage of Clay wants to do this, Durant wants to do this. So there's a lot of extra, extraneous drama surrounding the team that may be impacting them. And and that's why I think it, it, the series is probably going to go to seven. So I might be the most pessimistic of you because I'd pretty much call it wow. a toss-up going forward. Um, the, the thing that stuck out to me through four games, and it's been a gradual thing since game one, is like at this point the Warriors are playing five and a half, maybe six guys. Like they're, outside of Looney playing a little better, I don't know that there's anyone on the bench that Kerr can go to. And that's pretty much, uh, in my opinion, you know, that's why Houston won game three and kind of got into it in game four, just seeing like PJ Tucker is fresher than the Warrior players. Austin Rivers is giving them something off the bench and everyone on the Warriors is going 45 minutes and they're just kind of slower to loose balls at this point. So I don't know how much that's just kind of, you know, all it takes is them to just kind of get hot from outside to win a game. And then it turns the whole series. But I mean, this is by far the least deep warriors team I've seen. And they just look tired. I will say from like a historical uh, perspective, there have been some vibes for me of the 2003. Uh, I want to say it was the Western conference semifinal. Yeah. Lakers Spurs Lakers uh, where now the Lakers are coming off the three Pete, but the, the warriors are coming off uh, three and four years. So it's even been a, a longer run than the Lakers, uh, and you know that that one series where everyone had kind of you know thought that all right the Lakers are going for their fourth straight, but the the Spurs kind of who and the Spurs had kind of been in a Houston situation they'd already won a title you know a few years before but during that run uh, the Lakers had beat them year after year and then they finally got over the hump in 2003 and won the title so. Uh, I think, if, if anything, we're, we're starting to see the, the effects of fatigue on the Warriors as well. Um, and, and, you know, that that core that had been so deep and, and so good for so long, you know, a guy like Sean Livingston now, I think, has uh, shown a lot of signs of aging and falling off. And he, even Bogut, you remember how good he was in 2016. He had his moments in the Clippers series, but he hasn't been the same and has kind of been phased out of this series. So uh, I do think that you're, you're starting to see the, the effects of aging and, and just kind of you know, fatigue of year after year playing into June. So here's a question for the field. How would a, a healthy DeMarcus Cousins change the series? And by healthy, I mean this year's version of him, not, you know, his prime pre-Achilles, but this year's version of, of DeMarcus Cousins. Basically yep. what he was up until the quad injury. Uh, I think it'd be huge. I mean, he would have his issues versus... Houston in the sense of like, obviously he's not going to play 30 minutes a game versus them, but he's he's a good NBA player who can at least play 20 minutes, 15 minutes. I mean, they're not getting anything from anyone outside of the death lineup right now. Um, just even with his, his flaws covering the pick and roll and stuff, like at least it's someone he can throw out there for a period of time. That's fair. So, so when so he I'll, was, I'll, you can continue. Oh, go ahead. Okay. Uh, so when he was with the, with the Pelicans, 
the Pelicans played Houston pretty well uh, in a lot of games. Now, there were games where Houston absolutely murdered DeMarcus in the pick and roll. I mean, murdered, right? Because you can't really put DeMarcus out in space with Harden in front of him, Capella behind him. That's either a bucket or a lob. It's, it's, it's a, yeah, bad, it's a idea. bad idea. But there were times where where the Pelicans put DeMarcus on a guy like Mabute and and just kind of floated him around and forced those guys to make shots. I wonder if they could do something similar with, with P.J. Tucker. Now, P.J. Tucker's more than capable of making shots and the Rockets are probably going to screen and screen and screen and try to force a switch. But it's from a defensive standpoint, it's interesting, but I do believe that if Capella's not on the floor, if you, if you can get DeMarcus minutes with, with Nene or whoever else, I mean, the Rockets really aren't rolling that, that deep out there, but try to avoid it when, when Capella's on the floor, I'd be interested in seeing how that looks. Oh, yeah, the small ball lineup in the last game was really fascinating. I saw somewhere that Tucker played 48% of his minutes at center in the last victory. Uh, you would just never think that at someone 6'4", 6'5", but man, he was so tough, so good in that last game. Uh, he sort of symbolizes, I think, everything Houston wants its role players to be around James Harden. It seems like it was only a few years ago that Maury's plan was just sort of going all in on superstars and they were committed to Dwight Howard uh, as that guy next to Harden. Well, you know, that sort of went out the wayside and what they really built around him was just a team that that fits so well around Harden. You have most of the time running these small ball lineups, five legitimate three point threats uh, in the lineup. They can switch most screens against Golden State. I mean, no one's going to be able to contest or cover Curry and Durant on, you know, the majority of the possessions of the game. But Houston has been so impressive fighting uh, throughout this series. But what I keep coming back to is just Golden State's margin for error is so big. Uh, Even in the last game, I didn't think Golden State played particularly well. And they still had a look from Durant that was wide open and a look from Curry uh, off the offensive rebound to to tie the game, I think. So, uh, you know, if a few of those shots start falling, if Steph gets it back, I still think Golden State is the favorite, but it's it's hard to watch this series and not really admire the way Houston's playing. I, I will say this quickly in, in regards to DeMarcus Cousins. Uh, the Clippers privately were upset that he got injured. They, they felt that their best chance uh, against the Warriors was with DeMarcus on the court. Uh, and, you know, they, they, they're playing off of him dramatically. Uh, they, they welcomed any shot attempt from DeMarcus, even in the post. You know, they, they said they would take a DeMarcus Cousins one-on-one post up over any other shot from, from Steph, Clay, or KD. Uh, and then defensively, uh, if you looked at game one, Lou Williams really struggled outside of the minutes DeMarcus Cousins w- was on the court. And, uh, you know, it kind of lined up where he ended up playing against the second unit. And, you know, almost every basket Lou Williams had in that game one was against DeMarcus in the pick and roll. So I, I do I do agree with Sam that in kind of in theory uh, and, and just kind of by being a, a productive body, he could help the Warriors. But I, I just don't know where that limit is, especially with, you know, having a Chris Paul or a James Harden going at him in the pick and roll. Uh, I do think that he, he does present a lot of defensive issues. Right. I mean, if, if Kerr was willing to use him like a role player, he could definitely be an Im- impact player, but he's DeMarcus Cousins. I don't know that they would – they would have to have kind of gotten to a hole to tighten the leash on him, I guess. But either way, he's not playing in the series. Um, there are reports he might be back later in the playoffs. The Warriors continue to advance, but it's, it's irrelevant for this series. Um, so – 
the the other main takeaway I have from this series is you got you guys mentioned you know kind of PJ Tucker being six six and playing center in all those minutes. I do think it's interesting. That's kind of been what's frustrated KD more than anyone. He's still shooting very efficiently, but PJ Tucker, uh, Eric Gordon, and um, Harden a few times just essentially get underneath him to push out him out of the way for rebounds, which kind of turned both game three and game four. It's Kerr called it essentially, you know, they have a bunch of middle linebackers, but it has been effective for him having just that many guys who are essentially thick. I don't know how else to put it. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so I guess let, let's take it forward. We got, we got game, we got two game fives tomorrow. Give me your predictions. We'll get out of here. Let's start with Boston Milwaukee. Uh, Ricky, who do you got? I'll take Milwaukee in that one. I think that uh, Budenholzer just has that team firing on all cylinders right now. Giannis was so tremendous in the last game. Boston looks totally out of sync, so I'll take Milwaukee to finish it off. Yohan? I'm with Ricky. Uh, I think uh, I think Milwaukee puts Boston to sleep. Sharon? You know, I wish I could say Boston and be a contrarian, but just emotionally they don't seem like they're in a place that they can recover from. Yeah, I think it's over too. Um, all right, let's go to Golden State, Houston. Get out of here. I'll, Why don't you go first, Ricky? Okay. Right, uh, I'll take Golden State to, to bounce back and win that game. They uh, have the home court again. I think that, uh, you know, Curry is going to snap out of this little funk that he's been in. We saw how tremendous Durant was in game three. It still feels like. He could just take over these playoffs and remind everyone that you know he's the best player in the sport at any given moment. So I'll take the the Warriors with a bounce back victory. I'll, I'll take the Warriors too. I, I will say, I think this is Game Seven for the Rockets, uh, and obviously, if they lose Game Six, would would technically be their Game Seven. But I, I just think you know, I think like Ricky said earlier, they will have to go to, to Oracle for game seven. And I just don't see them winning in that scenario. So if Houston has any chance to win this series, they have to win this one. And then they have to go back to Houston and win that. So I think you're going to see that level of urgency from them. It's just a matter of what Warriors team shows up. I think that the good version of the Warriors shows up and it's a close competitive game, but uh, Golden State wins in the end. I'm big in Houston. I think they get really hot for three this time. I'm going to go on the fence with this one. I'm going to pick Houston. I think they're going to make it interesting. Uh, I think it's going seven either way, though. 